I want to greet each of you in Jesus' precious name this morning. Special welcome to our visitors that are here. It's not many, but we're glad you're here with us. The message that I felt led to share this morning is a message that is very familiar, that we all know about. But I trust that as we again open the word and look at it, we can be reminded of truths, we can be encouraged by the faithfulness of many people, and we will, as many did in the story, worship God and thank Him and praise Him for what He has done. To begin with, I would like to look at some of the prophecy that was shared in the Old Testament announcing the Messiah, Jesus. Not all of it speaks directly of his birth, but of his, him coming to earth or being on earth. And um, some of it's somewhat vague, but from our perspective now, we are such a blessed people that we can look back and we can see how all this prophecy was fulfilled. I'm only picking out just a few verses that we find in the Old Testament. There are many more that we could look at. But um, I have most of them written here in my notes, so if you don't feel inclined to turn to them, um, that's fine because we'll be looking at a number of different verses. But I'll give the reference so you at least have a reference point. So we'll look at them, and then we will look at the fulfillment of some of these prophecies in the New Testament, um, in Matthew and in Luke. So in Genesis 12, 3, it says, I will bless those, God is talking to Abraham, saying, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Is that a prophecy of Jesus coming? being here? Like I said, some of these are kind of vague. How is this a prophecy? But here we see God making a promise to Abraham that he would be the beginning of a great nation. And as part of that promise, he tells him that all nations on the earth will be blessed because of him, more so because of his lineage, the one that is to come, right? Which is actually pointing forward to the one who would redeem every tribe and tongue on the face of the earth. The blessing of salvation was for all who would believe. There was also another prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, talking of David's offspring, that they would have an eternal kingdom. And when thy days, oh, sorry, 2 Samuel 7, 12, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. So at first it's looking like he's talking about Solomon. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Was Solomon going to live forever? Was that kingdom going to just go on forever? not really in the physical sense, but because of the lineage and because of Jesus, then that kingdom 
would continue on forever. We see a fulfillment of that in Matthew 1.1. As we look at the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, it says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Jesus Christ being the son of David, being the son of Abraham, um, fulfillment of this blessing that was given to Abraham and the kingdom that would continue that God told David about. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. And this gets a little bit more personal. And we can see something here. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we have um, two clear things here that is indicated. The manner in which he would be born a virgin birth, and we are given one of his names, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. In Matthew 1.22, it says, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So hundreds of years before, God had inspired, the Spirit had inspired Isaiah to write this, saying that a virgin would conceive, would bear a son, and what his name would be. And that was fulfilled in Jesus. Micah 5, 2, speaking of where Jesus would be born. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And we know this prophecy was fulfilled, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Matthew 2, 6. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, Art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. We'll read that context here a little bit later, but it was the, when uh, King Herod was questioned, when the, when the wise men wanted to know where to find Jesus, where to find the king of the Jews, then um, this is what was shared. There was, oh, they remembered that, yes, he would be born in Bethlehem as was prophesied in Isaiah. Hosea 11.1, 1, again, hundreds of years before, says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And I find this verse really interesting because as we look at it and think about it, it's almost like this is talking about something that had already happened, the children of Israel being called out of Egypt, but also pointing forward to the time when Jesus had to go to Egypt. Joseph and Mary had to take Jesus to Egypt to protect him from King Herod. In fact, in Exodus 4.22, as we think about the children of Israel being there and what Jesus said, 
to Moses, he says, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. I didn't remember that those words were used there, my son, like that, talking about the children of Israel. But it says that God would call them out, and he did call them out long before this. But then Hosea is pointing forward to Jesus when he had to go to Egypt, when the family went. In Matthew 2, 14 and 15, Joseph had received the news that he needed to take his family to Egypt to protect the baby. It says, When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And so there, again, fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 9, 6, a very familiar passage. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, and the throne of David excuse me, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we look briefly at a few of the prophecies that the people had in the Old Testament referring to the coming of the Messiah. And I wonder if you would have lived then if I was living then and experienced over, over the time that Jesus was born here on earth and experienced this, would I have believed in who Jesus was? That he was the Savior. That he was the Messiah. Just by using some of those prophecies, would I had, have had the understanding and would I have believed and as I looked at this story that is so familiar to us in Luke 2, and then also in Matthew 2, we think about the many people who did believe. And there was also many that didn't. But I was challenged by them and their response. And I trust that I can go forward and, um, and have the faith that they had. had as strong a faith as they did in believing. We are such a blessed people today. We have all of this scripture, the prophecy, the fulfillment of this prophecy, and yet there are still many who do not believe, who will not believe, decide not to believe. Turn with me to Luke 2. As I mentioned, we're just be, we'll be looking at a, this very familiar story. I wasn't exactly sure what to title the message. 
because I don't want to just focus on Jesus as a babe. He was much more than that. And so I want us to think about that as we look at this story, to, to think about those that accepted him and, and to be challenged by them and their response. And may we have that same type of response today. So a very simple title, title is The Manger, The Messengers, and then the message that they had. The manger, the messengers, and the message. So Luke 2, starting at verse 1, and we'll read uh, through verse 20 for now at least. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things in pot things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. <clears throat> so I would like us to notice a few of the things that are happening here and think about how it all fit perfectly into God's timing. So it begins with a decree that was given. And I imagine this fella, Caesar Augustus, thought he was pretty great. Because he could send out a decree and it caused everybody to have to do something. They had to obey him. He was a great man. He caused them to have to go back to their hometown city 
for this censor to be taxed. This man had a lot of power. And yet, he was only helping to fulfill the prophecy that was spoken years ago. That Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary didn't live there anymore. They were 90 to 100 miles away. And it was almost time for this baby to be delivered. And yet, all in God's perfect timing, they had a reason that they needed to be in Bethlehem. So they went. Caesar Augustus um, thought he was great, probably thought he was in control of most of the world, but yet God was truly in control. And it's so good for us to remember that. When we see things that are happening in the world around us, and there are those that feel they have great control, yet God is in control. Maybe when things are happening in our own lives, we wonder exactly how how this is all going to work out. Does God really care? Yet, yes, he does. And it is all within his timing. I want us to think about Joseph and Mary here. You know, they had a lot to work through to accept this responsibility that God had given them. And I'm sure there were those that maybe mistreated them, spoke unkindly towards them, and so on. But Joseph and Mary accepted this. We have the account of where the angel came to to Joseph in Matthew there and, and talked to him and said, go ahead and take Mary to be your wife. That this thing is of of God. And he accepted that and said, okay. But yeah, even though he, they, accepted this responsibility, and even though they were getting ready to, Mary was getting ready to give birth to the Son of God, life continued on. And they still faced difficult things. They still needed to go to Bethlehem at a difficult time. An unpleasant journey. How many of you would like to walk halfway to Lancaster County or ride a donkey or, you know, whatever mode of transportation there was? That doesn't sound like a very enjoyable trip. Just to go pay taxes at that? (laughs) And so I want us to think about that just because Joseph and Mary were being submissive to God, God didn't say, well, it's just going to be all real easy for you now because you first, once you submit, then it's just all easy. No, it wasn't. They needed to continue to go through life. They needed to continue to be obedient to those that governed over them, to the authorities in their life. And that meant they had difficult things to do at times. And so we know the account. They, get, they finally do get to Bethlehem, whether it took them three days or it took them extra long because of Mary's condition. Um, it was a, a long journey, a difficult journey, to some extent at least. And they get there and there isn't really a good place for them to stay. Was, was it because they got there way later than everybody else? 
maybe. Maybe it's just because Bethlehem is not really that big of a, of a town. It wasn't. And so there wasn't room in the places that they would maybe normally stay. And I don't know how all that actually was. But they ended up, it appears to have stayed in a stable, a place where the cattle were kept, the animals. Again, reminding them or um, reminding us (laughs) that once we commit our ways unto God, that doesn't mean that everything will be simple, that it will just be a bed of roses, but that we need to continue to put our faith and trust in God as we face those difficult, difficult things. There's a few other things we can learn as we think about Jesus being born here in a stable, there not being room in the end. We can think about the rejection that Christ did face later on in life. Even though the people that were in the inn, the people that were staying at a place that was maybe a little nicer than where Joseph and Mary were, um, didn't realize what was happening. They were fairly innocent, I'm sure. They didn't know Jesus was was being born out there in the stable. Yet, as we understand the story, as we look at Jesus' life, This was just the beginning of the rejection that he faced. Obviously, not everybody rejected him, and we'll get to to, uh, read about, or we did read about, the shepherds and so on. They didn't reject. They accepted him. But there were those that rejected him. As John 1, 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. You know, he came to his own, and yet they didn't receive him. Jesus lived a life that he knew what it was like to be rejected. But the question that I want us to think about today is, what are you doing with Jesus? Do you have room in your life for him? Are you allowing him to control your life? As we see that Joseph and Mary did. They were a good example. Or doesn't he find room in your heart? Is it too full of other things? Things that you prefer doing rather than surrendering your life? You know, I find it fairly easy to look back with a critical eye and look at how the people accepted or rejected Jesus. And say, why was it that way? Jesus was right there in front of them. And yet, so many turned their backs. But what are we, what am I doing with Jesus today? Are we fully surrendered? Are we ready to do what he asks us to do? Going back to the story, talking about Joseph and Mary. We know that they eventually, another difficult thing they had to do is is move to Egypt. It wasn't right away, but they needed to because of what Herod wanted to do with all the babies in Bethlehem, because of his hatred, because of his jealousy, wanting to be the only king and destroy any others that were called that. And so another difficult thing that Joseph and Mary needed to do. I didn't look to see how much farther that would have been from Bethlehem, but it would have been another unpleasant journey 
into a, a new territory. Just a lot of difficult things. But yet, we don't read of them complaining. They just went and did. And, and I'm not going to be looking at um, too much of the story of, of the angel telling them what to do. Well, actually, we maybe will read over that a little bit. But we, we read of Joseph. When the angels told him he needed to go, he got up and went. He didn't say, well, I'll go in two days once I prepare myself or whatever. He got up and went. Very obedient. How obedient are we? We often think about the uniqueness of the angels finding the shepherds, or not finding them, but going to the shepherds and telling them the good news that Jesus was born. What all did that mean? Why did they go to the shepherds? Weren't the shepherds fairly lowly? Why should the shepherds know first? Wasn't there other people that were more important that should know? But I think there's a lot of good lessons that we can learn here and have already heard, I'm sure, most of them. But this proves that the good news, the gospel, is for everyone. Not just for the rich, not just for the elite, but for everyone. In fact, that's what the angel said in Luke, in, in verse 10. The angel said unto them, Fear not, as they talked as they talked to the, the shepherds, I behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The good news was for everyone, not just for certain people. And then I'm so blessed by the shepherd's response. What all did they know? Did they know the different prophecies that we've read? Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But yet when this was revealed to them, when the angels came and spoke to them and shared this good news with them, how did they respond? It says, as the angels were gone away from them, in verse 15, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. They made it a priority to go and to see and to worship. Another thing that I found kind of unique as I was studying this, Bethlehem, called the city of David and maybe all of you know why that is I didn't really know why and from my studies this is what I found out is that is where Samuel had to go to find David when he went to anoint him king and so that's why Bethlehem is called the city of David it's not necessarily a big city six miles or so from the larger city Jerusalem but that is where it was prophesied that Jesus would be born and as I think about that account, David was chosen king, and he was the least among his family. His dad didn't even have him in the lineup as Samuel was there to see who would be king. Because David was just a shepherd boy. He was kind of just a servant almost. 
and yet he was the one that God chose. And I was so blessed as I thought about a little bit of that correlation. You know, David was a good king, a man after God's own heart. Started out as a shepherd. And here the angels come to the shepherds in this story. And they go to Bethlehem to worship Jesus. They were excited and they worshiped. What did they do once they worshiped? Verse 16, I started reading it, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. So they must have went out and just told everybody what the angels had done, what the angels had told them, and then what they had seen. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And so these these shepherds, they heard the message, and they heeded the message, and then they heralded the message. They shared the message that they had received with, with everyone. And I want us to keep that in mind. We are blessed to know the message and to know Jesus as our own personal Lord and Savior. And are we going out as excited as these shepherds were, sharing that with others? It's an area I definitely can do better in. We can, we can just tell as you read this that these shepherds were excited, and they were wanting to tell. And even though the people that heard it didn't necessarily understand everything, Possibly, it says they wandered, and they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them. But the shepherds didn't care. They just went ahead and continued to tell and share what they had heard and what they had seen. <clears throat> I want us to compare the shepherd's response a little bit with what we see in Matthew 2. We're going to read the verses 1 through 18 there. Here we have a king. We, we talk about why did the angels appear to the shepherds, but we'll see why the angel didn't appear to the king here in this account. Again, very familiar, but it's of the wise men traveling to worship Jesus. Matthew 2, 1 through 18. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, or Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy, the prophet saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they were not. So why did the angels go and tell the shepherds the good news instead of Herod? Herod didn't want to hear that news, did he? He was very troubled when he heard what the wise men said. And we know he ended up trying to destroy Jesus by killing the babes that were there in Bethlehem. What caused the king's response to be different than the shepherds? I don't know much about King Herod's life. But it appears he was a jealous king. He didn't like the thought of any other king coming to power. He wanted the kingdom all to himself. And so once he heard the prophecy about the king of the Jews, about this babe that was to be born in Bethlehem, he began devising a plan. And including in that, pla including in that plan was to have the wise men return to tell him exactly where the king was so he could get rid of him. But again, we see God overruling in this situation. And as the wise men were getting ready to leave Jerusalem, God took them exactly to where they could go and worship Jesus, using the star again to lead them directly to the house. And they went and worshipped, and when they went to leave, obviously God left them know in a dream to go home a different way. So Herod didn't want to worship. Herod didn't like the fact that there was another king. But not all the great men believed this way. 
because we have this account of these wise men, and I didn't do a lot of research on them. But they too traveled a great distance. They too had a lot of faith. And how did they know exactly all that was going to be? But when they talked to the king, they said, we have seen his star in the east. So they they made that connection and they knew that they were going to worship a king and they wanted to. And they don't know if they just figured he would be in Jerusalem because he was the king of the Jews. And that's why they ended up there. But we see a commitment in these men's lives. And as they went to worship Jesus, and as they found him, I too am blessed by their expression of worship. Um, Verse 11, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. So they knew that Jesus was worthy of their worship, even though they were wise men, even though they too were great men, they were willing to bow and worship and give honor to this babe who looked like just a babe, but realizing that he was king, that he was the savior. So we talked about the message that the shepherds heard we talked a little bit about them as messengers sharing that message. And I want us to kind of end up there thinking about this message that the shepherds had received. And how they responded before they went back to worship, I mean went back to, sorry, to take care of their flocks. And there in chapter 2 again, it says that they shared this message. And in verse 20 in chapter 2, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So they were excited about this message. And they were glorifying They were praising God. And I want us to think about what are we doing? Do we have a message to share? In John 3.16, it's a very, again, familiar verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, might be saved. We have a message. God's love. And what God did for us as sinful, fallen men. So I want to just refer to a few verses that that speak of that, that love that God has toward us. 1 John 4, 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Hebrews 3, 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. So God's saying, don't do as the children of Israel did when they didn't want to believe and harden their hearts. But when you hear my voice, believe. Accept me as your Savior. That's what these shepherds did. They heard, they believed, they accepted him, and they went and told. Do we worship as we think about all that Jesus has done for us? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I want to read it from the NIV. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So by giving our bodies, by offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, surrendering our lives to him, as we see or saw Joseph and Mary doing, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. That's only when we surrender our all and give our all to God. Then we will know what God's will is. So what does the Christmas message mean to you today? Are you thankful for the love that God has shown to you and to me? This babe that we talked about, we know he grew up and was a great teacher, but then that he also gave himself, as it says in John 3.16, God gave his son, and his son died so that all of us can be saved, so that all of us have a good news, have good uh, uh exciting news to proclaim to the world. And I trust that you will do as the shepherds did in sharing this good news with everyone. I have a little story I want to conclude with. And I hope that it kind of helps to remind each one of us about God's love, about Jesus' love, to you and to I, and, and to me, sorry. I don't know if this story is 100%, it is really true, but it, um, I think it serves as a good reminder to us in this time of year. <clears throat> so there's a story about a Christmas or about the, the candy, a candy cane story that I want to share. And it reminds us of Jesus in different ways and what he was willing to do for us. <clears throat> there was a candy maker that wanted to make a candy cane that would be a witness for his Savior. So he made the candy cane. He incorporated 
several symbols for the birth, the ministry, and the death of Jesus Christ. The candy maker made the candy in a form of a J to represent the precious name of Jesus who came to the earth as our Savior. It also has the shape of a shepherd's hook, right? So we think of Jesus being the good shepherd. So we can think of it in that way too. It reminds us that Jesus is the good shepherd who watches over us and cares for us, and we are the sheep of his pasture. The candy maker began with a pure white candy, all white, to symbolize the virgin birth and the sinless nature of Jesus. The white also reminds us how God washes away our sins and makes us white as snow when we repent and trust in Jesus. The hardness of the candy symbolizes that Jesus is our solid rock. The hardness also represents the firm and solid foundation of the church, which is Jesus. Thinking the candy was somewhat plain, the candy maker decided to stain it with thin stripes, representing the stripes of the scourging Jesus and the scourging that Jesus received prior to his crucifixion. And the large red stripe represents the shedding of his blood on the cross for our salvation. You know, most of the times we probably don't think about that when we look at a candy cane. But I think as we do, it will help us remember what Jesus has done for us. And not that we need a a visual sign like this to remember. Because it's more important that we know him as our Lord and as our Savior and that he dwells within us. One last thing we can remember is as you take two of them and put them together, we see a heart that helps remind us of his love to each and every one of us. The love that caused him to be willing to come to the cross or come to this world and ultimately go to the cross because he cared for you and for me. So this Christmas season and throughout all the year, let us do as the shepherds did and remember to proclaim, first of all, to to accept what they heard. Let us accept what we hear and go and proclaim that good news to everyone around us, whether it's through our speech, through sharing in word or by our lives in the way that we live. People are observing and they see how we live, how we respond, oh, that we love and that we serve Jesus and that he dwells within us.